The world is moving further and further away from biblical morality, but not only is it happening in the world, it's also happening in the church. This morning I want to talk to you about this seven-year period of time and what goes on during this seven-year period of time called the tribulation. In Zephaniah chapter 1, he gives us a Cliff Notes version of what is going to happen during the tribulation. And here's what he says. He says that terrible day of the Lord is near. Now, many times the tribulation is referred to as the day of the Lord or as a time of Jacob's trouble. And so he said that terrible day of the Lord is near. Swiftly it comes. It'll be a day of bitter tears. A day when even strong men will cry out. It will be a day when the Lord's anger is poured out. And I'm going to talk about that in just a few moments. And what the pouring out of God's anger is going to look like. He said that it will be a day of terrible distress and anguish, a day of ruin and desolation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. He said that it would be a day of trumpet calls, and a trumpet call in this particular day that he's speaking was the sounding of an alarm. And so he said there will be many soundings of alarms and many battle cries. He said, down go the walled cities and the strongest battlements. And then he said, because you have sinned against the Lord, I will make you grope around like the blind. In other words, people will be trying to escape the pouring out of God's wrath, but they'll not be able to find an escape. They'll not be able to find an exit. And then he said, your blood will be poured into the dust and your bodies will lie rotting on the ground. Your silver and gold will not save you on that day of the Lord's anger. For the whole land will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. He will make a terrifying end of all people on earth. That is all unbelieving people that are on the earth. Now during the tribulation... There are a few things that are going to take place. The first thing, I believe, or one of the things, maybe not the first thing, but one of the things that is going to happen during the tribulation is that God is going to reestablish his program for the nation of Israel. Listen to what the scripture says in Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7. He said, alas, for that day is great so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble or Israel's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. You remember when Jesus came the first time, the Bible said that he came to his own and his own received him not. They rejected him then and they continue to reject him today, but... During the tribulation, Jesus is going to reestablish his program with the nation of Israel. He's going to reconnect with them. You see, it's as if when Jesus came and they rejected Jesus, it was as if God said, okay, to the nation of Israel, I'm going to kind of just put you over here to the side and now I'm going to work primarily through the Gentiles. Now I'm going to work primarily through the church but once the church has been raptured, once the church has been snatched off of this earth, then he said, I'm going to come back 
and I'm going to reestablish my program with the nation of Israel. Matthew 23, 37 through 39 gives us a little bit more insight on that. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones, God's messengers. And this is Jesus speaking. He said, how often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings. This was the heart of Jesus for the nation of Israel. But he said, you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned and desolate. Your temple, your house. In other words, Jesus walked out of that temple. His glory left the temple. His glory left the house of, the God, the house of God and it was desolate. He said, for I tell you this, you will never see me again until you say blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. That is, when Jesus returns again, then the nation of Israel will be saved. Then the nation of Israel will be redeemed. But more than that, as I said, it's going to be a time when God's anger is going to be poured out upon the earth, this time of trouble, the day of tribulation. It's going to be a time when the anger of God is going to be poured out. And listen to me. It's going to be poured out at a level that you have never witnessed or seen the anger of God before. Matter of fact, the tribulation is going to be downright scary because of this. That when God's wrath is poured out in one day, a third of the world's population will be killed. And at another time, a fourth of the world's population that is left will be killed. Today, you and I are living in the day of man as opposed to the day of the Lord that will take place in the tribulation. In the day of man, God has given man the freedom of choice. God has given us the freedom to choose whether we're going to accept Him or whether we are going to reject Him. And the evil that we see in our world today, the darkness that we see in our world today is a result of the consequences of man's choices. And because of that, we are experiencing the passive wrath of God. There's a difference in the passive wrath of God and the active wrath of God. If you want to see what the active wrath of God is, then you go back to the Old Testament before Jesus. And in the Old Testament, you would see the active wrath of God because God would send fire from heaven and God would open up the earth and swallow people whole into the earth. That is the active wrath of God. But because of Jesus, and I thank God for Jesus, that because of Jesus, you and I do not experience the active wrath of God because on the cross, God poured out His wrath upon Jesus. But the evil that we see in the world today, the, uh, the, the, the darkness that we see in the world today, it is a, a result of the consequences of man's choices. But in the great day, in, in the tribulation, there is going to be the outpouring of God's active wrath. And it will be unlike anything that you have ever seen in your life. Listen, when we were growing up, I remember growing up, I, I, I would be, you know, cutting up and my daddy would be getting on to me and he would look at me and he would say, Victor Lane, boy, if you don't straighten up, you're about to see a side of me that you don't want to see. And, and unfortunately, there were times that I pushed my dad a little bit too far. 
And I saw that side of my dad that he didn't want me to see the wrath of my father. And that's what God is saying. During the tribulation, God is going to be pushed to the point that you're going to see a side of God that you have never seen before. And as a part of the pouring out of his wrath, there will be the revealing of what we know as the Antichrist. And I want you to notice, we're going to look at two passages of Scripture, if you'll go there with me. We're going to go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, and then we're going to go to Revelation chapter 13. And I want you to open your Bibles, and I want you to mark some Scriptures and to make some notes. But in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, Paul says to the church and to the people of Thessalonica, he said, now dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet him. Don't be so easily shaken or alarmed by those who say that the day of the Lord, the tribulation, has already begun. Don't believe them, even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. Because what had happened is, somebody had come along or somebody had sent a letter saying that it was from Paul that, that said that the, the rapture of the church had already taken place and that they were now living during the tribulation. And Paul says to them, don't be shaken or alarmed by those who say that. Not only that, but some of the people were confused because they were seeing some of the signs of the end times unfolding before their very eyes. And so they thought that they had missed the rapture and that they as the church were having to go through the tribulation. But Paul says, don't believe that. Even if they claim to have had a spiritual vision, a revelation, or a letter supposedly from us. He said, don't be fooled by what they say. For that day, talking about the tribulation, that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. And I talked to you a little bit about that last week. The apostasy that will take place in the end times. It will begin, but it will intensify during the tribulation. But it is already at at work in our day and in our time right now. The world is moving further and further away from the truth of God's Word. The world is moving further and further away from biblical morality, but not only is it happening in the world, it's also happening in the church. We've got churches believing there's more than one way to get to God. We've got churches believing that it's okay to ordain homosexual ministers. We've got churches that are believing that it's okay to ordain those who are a part of the gay community. We've got churches that are pro-abortion. I'm telling you, it's not just happening in the world. It is also happening in the church. And he said that there's going to be an apostasy. There's going to be a great falling away. But then he says, then the man of lawlessness will be revealed. The man of lawlessness here is the Antichrist. And he's called the man of lawlessness because it's anything goes. There is no law to govern the land. There is no principles by which people live, especially principles of God's word and principles of truth. He's called the man of lawlessness and he will be revealed after the apostasy or as the apostasy is taking place. And notice
notice what he says about the Antichrist. He is the one who brings destruction. And it's destruction unlike you've ever seen. And it shouldn't surprise us because the Bible says in John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I'm going to show you in just a moment why he will be able to do such damage during the tribulation. Notice what it says in verse 4. This Antichrist, he will exalt himself and defy everything that people call God and every object of worship. He will even sit in the temple of God claiming that he himself is God. This is going to happen about three and a half years into the tribulation when his true nature and his true character is revealed. I mean, when the tribulation begins, he comes on the scene as a person of peace. He even enters into and signs a peace treaty. And he makes a promise that there's going to be peace in the Middle East. Now, I know that there have been many who have signed peace treaties, but they haven't stuck. This one will stick. And the tribulation will begin with him signing that peace treaty. But three and a half years into the tribulation, he will walk into the temple of God, a place reserved for the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he will sit upon the throne of the temple, and he himself, it's called the abomination of desolation or the abomination of desecration, he will walk in, sit on the throne, and claim himself to be God. And from that moment, on man the wrath of God is really poured out that's why that's where you see the judgments of God begin to be poured out that you read about in Revelation the seal judgments the trumpet judgments the bowl judgments that are poured out but also here's the good news also during that last three and a half years of the tribulation that's called the great tribulation God is going to raise up a hundred and forty four thousand Billy Grahams he's going to raise up a hundred and forty four thousand evangelists twelve thousand from each of the 12 tribes of Israel and they will be evangelists and people will still be able to hear and have an opportunity a last opportunity to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ but then read on verse 5 he said don't you remember that I told you about all this when I was with you and you know what is holding him back the Antichrist for he can be revealed only when his time comes. Now listen, that doesn't mean that he couldn't be alive today or she. It doesn't mean that they could not be alive today. It's just that they haven't been revealed yet. They could be very well alive and well on the earth right now. We just don't know who they are. Hasn't been revealed yet. Have, have not been identified yet. Then he says, you know what is holding him back for he can be revealed only when his time comes for this lawlessness is already at work secretly. Now, now listen to me. If this lawlessness was already at work secretly in Paul's day, how much more is the spirit of lawlessness at work in the day and time in which you and I live? You hear me this morning, Paul said in 2 Corinthians or 2 Timothy chapter 3, he said, For in the last days, perilous times 
are going to come. And he described it as men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, unthankful, unholy, disobedient to parents, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. And when he said in the last days, he really meant this, in the last of the last days. Because the last days started on the day of Pentecost. You remember Joel prophesied and said, in the last days I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. On the day of Pentecost, Peter gets up and he said, this is that, that Joel prophesied about. That in the last days I'll pour out my spirit. So the last days began at Pentecost. We are living, ladies and gentlemen, in the last of the last days, in the end of the end times. Jesus is coming soon, church. I believe that. But he said this lawlessness is already at work secretly and it will remain secret until the one who is holding it back steps out of the way. This is where he talks now about the rapture of the church. That the lawless one will not be revealed. He will not be identified until the restrainer has been removed. And we talked last week that we believe that the restrainer is the work of the Holy Spirit through the church. Can you imagine this world with no Christians? Can you imagine this world with no light? It'll be utter darkness. And can you imagine when the Holy Spirit, the Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, that the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard. But can you imagine what will happen when the Spirit of the Lord is no longer raising up that standard to hold evil back? But not only that, when you study the Word of God, you will notice that the Word of God is clear that in this day of man, that any time the devil wants to do anything to a child of God, he has to get God's permission first. Job, Satan had to go before God to get permission before he could mess with Job. Peter, Jesus told Peter, he said, Satan has desired to sift you as wheat, but I'm praying for you. But in the tribulation, listen to me, Satan will not need God's permission because God will loose him to do and to say whatever he wants to do or say. I'm telling you, you don't want to be here during the tribulation. Notice as we continue in verse 8, then the man of lawlessness is going to be revealed after the restrainer is removed. But the Lord Jesus, I love this, oh I love this, but the Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him by the splendor of his coming. Oh, he'll do his work until Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation. And when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation, here's all he's going to have to do. He just blows his breath. And the enemy is destroyed. But then you read on. He said this man will come, the Antichrist, that he will come to do the work of Satan with counterfeit power and signs and miracles. Yes, the Antichrist will imitate and duplicate the miracles of God. And the purpose of those miracles will be to deceive people. To deceive people, not to bring glory to God. But to deceive people, when God does a miracle, He does a miracle to bring glory to Himself and to change a person's life. But when the devil does miracles, he does it to deceive people and try to get the allegiance of people. 
It says that he will use every kind of evil deception to fool those on their way to destruction because they refuse to love and accept the truth that would save them. We find out more about him in Revelation chapter 13. And I'm sorry if I'm speaking a little fast this morning. There's so much that I want to share about this this morning in the time that we have together. But at the same time, I want to respect your time. But in Revelation 13, John is seeing a vision of how the events of the end times are going to unfold. And in verse 1, he said, Then I saw a beast. And the beast that he's referring to here is the Antichrist. He said, then I saw a beast, and he said he was rising up out of the sea. And the sea was looked at by the Jewish people as the abyss. And so it's as if he's rising up out of hell itself, out of the abyss. And he said, I saw a beast, the Antichrist, ascending. He's rising out of the sea. It had seven heads and ten horns, and I don't have time to get into all of these symbolisms, with ten crowns on its horns. And written on each head were names that blasphemed God. The beast, he tries to describe how ferocious and mean and terrifying this beast looked. He said this beast looked like a leopard, but it had the feet of a bear and the mouth of a lion. He said, I, I, I just can't find words adequate enough to describe how ferocious and, 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 and mean and evil this antichrist this beast is and then notice what it says next and the dragon gave the beast his own power well who is the dragon you'll find out in revelation chapter 12 that the dragon is satan the dragon is the devil you do understand that the antichrist is not satan the antichrist is one who is possessed by Satan. More possessed by Satan than any human being that has ever been on the face of the earth. Because notice it says that Satan gives the Antichrist his power. He possesses him. And it says that the dragon gave the beast his own power and throne and great authority. He said, I saw one of the heads of the beast that seemed wounded beyond recovery, but the fatal wound was healed. I'm going to talk to you about that in just a moment and what that means. But what the Antichrist does here is he performs such a miracle while the world is watching that after seeing it, the world marvels at this miracle and gives allegiance to the beast. And that's exactly what Satan wants. Satan wants to be worshipped. Notice verse 4. It said that they worshipped the dragon, the devil, for giving the beast such power. So because of what the beast is doing and because of the power of the Antichrist, people are worshiping the one who gave him his power, who is the devil. And isn't that been and hasn't that been the, 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 the idea of the enemy from the time that we see him on the scene, he said this in Isaiah, or the Bible says this in Isaiah. He said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will be like the Most High. He has always wanted to be God or to be like God and to be worshipped the way that God is worshipped. And it tells us that they worshipped the dragon for giving the beast, the Antichrist, such power. And they also worshipped the beast. 
Who is as great as the beast, they exclaimed. Who is able to fight against him? Talking about the Antichrist. But then in verse 5, it says, Then the beast was allowed. Allowed by who? Allowed by God. He was allowed by God to speak great blasphemies against God. You see, the Antichrist is going to be more of a political leader. And he is going to have such a persuasive way with his words that he is going to be able to convince many. And it says that he was given authority to do whatever he wanted for 42 months. This is speaking about those last three and a half years of the tribulation that is called the Great Tribulation. He'll be able to do whatever he wants to do and say whatever he wants to say. And then verse 6 said that he spoke terrible words of blasphemy against God, slandering his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Do you know who it is at that time that's dwelling in heaven? It's the redeemed the Lord it's the church of the living God and the devil hates the church and the devil hates the redeemed and so he'll be speaking blasphemies against God and he'll be speaking blasphemies against the church and the redeemed of God verse 7 and the beast was allowed to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them and he was given authority to rule over every tribe and people and language and nation and all the people who belong to this world world worshipped the beast but notice he said there were some that didn't they are not the ones whose names were not written in the lamb's book of life that belongs to the lamb who was slaughtered before the world was made yes everybody whose names were not found written in the lamb's book of life all of those on the earth during the tribulation who were saved they do not worship the beast. But everybody else is worshiping the beast. And then notice in verse 11, you got to see this. Then he said, I saw another beast. Everybody say, another beast. So we have a first beast and we have a second beast. The first beast is the Antichrist, a political leader. The second beast is the false prophet who will be a religious leader that will convince and deceive many with miracles, signs, and wonders. And notice he said, I saw another beast come up out of the earth. He had two horns, so he's not as powerful as the beast, but he's the right-hand man to the Antichrist. And he had two horns like those of a lamb, but he spoke with the voice of a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast, and he required all the earth. Now look at what the false prophet does. He required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast. Now let me tell you what I've just introduced you to. I have just introduced you to the unholy trinity. Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. The Holy Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was here on, his, on this earth, who was it that gave him his power and his authority? He said, my power and my authority come from my Father, the Holy Spirit. Think about this. The Holy Spirit's primary role was to give glory to the Son. The Son then would give glory to the Father. The false prophet, the second beast, gives glory to the first beast. 
the Antichrist. And the Antichrist then gives glory to Satan. So that Satan is being worshipped like God. And Satan wants to be like God so badly that he says, I'll just make up my own trinity. The dragon, the first beast, the second beast. And notice what happens. He said, he exercised all the authority of the first beast and he required all the earth and its people to worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Now a fatal wound means somebody died. It's fatal. So here's what it tells me. It tells me that the Antichrist during the tribulation, that a miracle that he will perform while the world is watching on, that will cause them to stand back in amazement and wonder, is he will somehow imitate the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he will deceive many as a result of that. His fatal wound is healed. And the whole world on Fox News, on CNN, the whole world is able to watch and to see this amazing miracle. He did astounding miracles, talking now about the false prophet. Even making fire flash down to earth from the sky while everyone was watching. And with all the miracles he was allowed to perform on behalf of the first beast, he deceived all the people who belong to this world. See, every miracle he does is to deceive everybody that's on the face of the earth, to make them believe, man, this guy is powerful. This, this person, he must be God. He, he, he must be associated with God because, because of all the miracles that he's doing. Listen, that's why you cannot base your relationship with God upon your experience alone and upon miracles alone. That's why John tells us in the last day when these spirits of Antichrist are here that we've got to test the spirits. We've got to try the spirits and judge whether or not they are of God. And how do we judge them? We judge them by asking, does it line up with what the Word of God? God says. Now I'm preaching this morning and I might be preaching better than you're responding. But I believe God's trying to get somebody's attention in this house here today. Let's, let's, let's keep this going. He said that he ordered the people to make a great statue of the first beast who was fatally wounded and then came back to life. Then he goes on in verse 15. He was then permitted to give life to this statue so that it could speak. The Bible says, do not set up any kind of a graven image, idolatry. But notice, something happens here that this piece of stone, this monument, this statue, it's able to speak. Then the statue of the beast commanded that anyone refusing to worship it must die. Shadrach, Meshach. Abednego. If you don't fall and worship the image of the beast, you'll die. And there will be martyrs in the tribulation who die for their allegiance to Christ. We go on, he required everyone, the false, the, the, the false prophet did, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom, John said, is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. Which, by the way, 
falls short of God's number seven. Perfect, complete. But what this is speaking to us, I believe it's a six for each member of the Trinity. The dragon, the Antichrist, the false prophet that says, see, we don't need God. Man is sufficient within himself. And then he says that those who were not taking the mark that they were not able to buy, nor were they able to sell. You'll either go bankrupt or you'll starve to death if you refuse to take the mark of the beast. That's why the Bible says how horrible it will be for pregnant mothers and nursing mothers in those days because can you imagine you don't love anything more than you love that little baby in your womb you don't love anything more than you love that little baby in your arms and when it comes down to a decision am I going to get the food that will feed my baby or am I am I going to take the mark that will get me the food to feed my baby or am I going to stay true to God and this may cost me my life and I will have to watch my baby suffer from starvation because if you don't take the mark You can't go to the mall without the mark. You can't go to Walmart without the mark. You can't go to Piggly Wiggly without the mark. So you go bankrupt or you starve to death. And I know what some of you are thinking right now, but pastor, I'm a believer. I'm redeemed by the blood of Jesus. So why are you even talking to us about this this morning? Listen to what John said in 1 John 2.18. He said, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now, many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. Listen, just because the Antichrist has not yet been revealed and identified doesn't mean that that spirit is not already at work in the world and in the church in which you and I are living. And so I want to tell you this morning that if you're going to overcome even these last of the last days, If you're going to overcome these end of the end times, you'll only do it the same way that those overcome in the tribulation. And Revelation 12, 11 says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives to the death. Listen, those who endure to the end are those, first of all, those who will be rescued with the redeemed are those who have been washed in the blood of the lamb and they know that they've been washed washed in the blood of the Lamb, they know that Jesus has shed His blood for their sins and they have accepted that free gift of salvation by faith. It's by the blood of the Lamb. And I'm thankful this morning that my sins have been cleansed and my sins have been washed away by the blood of Jesus. Amen. It's the redeemed who will be rescued. 
It's, the, it's those who, who have a relationship with God that will be saved both now and even during the tribulation. Listen, the enemy during the tribulation, he might be able to afflict and he might be able to destroy people's bodies, but he can't touch their soul and he cannot touch their spirit and he can't touch your soul and he can't touch your spirit because you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, somebody thank God for the blood. Amen. The blood of the Lamb and also by the word of their testimony. Do you know what the word of your testimony is? It's your public declaration and identification with Jesus Christ. The King of kings and the Lord of lords. You do know the devil doesn't care how much you walk around talking about God. Praise God this. Bless God that. I love God this. I serve God that. The devil doesn't care with you walking around talking about God because in this culture, it is so generic. People wonder, what God are you talking about? What God are you speaking of? Listen, it is when we publicly identify with Jesus Christ, the name that is above every name, that people then say, oh, now I know which God you're talking about. You're talking about the God of heaven and the God of earth. You're talking about the God who created everything it is. You're talking about the God of the Bible. Amen. And I'll say it. If everybody else can come out of the closet, it's time for redeemed people of God to come out of the closet. Amen. It's time to come out of the closet and not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation to them that believe. Oh, hallelujah. There's power in the name of Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. And you can just stay up on your feet. Everybody stand. And then he says, and they did not love. They did not love their lives to the death. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about commitment. It's time for saints of God to stop straddling the fence. It's time to stop having one foot or trying to have one foot in God and one foot in the world. God is looking for people who love Him more than they love their own selves. And I got news for you this morning. If I love God more than me, I definitely love God more than I love you. And I'm more committed to Him and His Word and His ways than I am to the pleasing of any person on the face of this earth. He said they loved not their own lives. Even unto death, they loved God more than they loved themselves. So what does that say to us this morning? It says this, first of all, if you're redeemed, if you're saved by the blood of Jesus, if you've accepted the free gift of salvation, if you know that when the rapture takes place that you're going to be snatched out of this world, then you ought to get up every day thanking God and being grateful for your salvation. But if you are here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, if I were you, I would run to the cross. 
I, I mean, I would run as fast as I could run to the cross of Jesus. And I would make sure before I left here today that my eternal destiny has been settled. I don't travel a lot. But when I travel, I get a boarding pass. And on my boarding pass is a confirmed seat number. I don't fly standby. I did that one time. And I like to never got on a flight. I like to never got a seat to get back home. I don't fly standby. I look at that ticket and I've got a seat confirmed. Listen, when you're talking to somebody and you ask them, hey, where do you, where do you think you're going to spend eternity? If they look at you and they say, well, I hope I'm going to heaven, they on standby. Because on standby, you're sitting there hoping that you'll get a seat. You're, you're just sitting there hoping that you're going to make this flight. I don't have to sit there wondering. I have confirmed my reservation. Amen. So let me ask you this morning. Do you have your seat confirmed? Or are you trying to fly standby? Because before you leave this house today, you can confirm that if Jesus were to come today, I'm ready to go. And I'll be a part of the rapture of the church. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summit and Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summit and Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.